Welcome to all those that are coming back from... I, 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 I've been told that some of you returned at 5 a.m. In the, in the morning. Drove all the way for how many hours, Richard? Seven and a half. Seven and a half hours after dancing all the rest of the time before that. Right? Wedding ceremony, eating, dancing, and then coming over here. And uh, so uh, next, next week, we should be ready to just greet this couple. Um, Carson and Kathy Ng. Kask Ng. Did I say that right? I've got to learn my pronunciation skills. Um, so they'll be here and... Um, you know, rightly, we are celebrating their uh, wedding because one of the things in, uh, in a Jewish wedding ceremony um, is that you are, the wedding vows are taken under a tabernacle. It's called a chuppah. And the whole thing is, your, this thing that you're doing is permanent because you've got to realize life is fickle. It's temporary. So... Take care of these vows. So um, I think this will be fascinating to see them coming back and joining us as a, as a married couple. We also need to be continue to pray about Hong Kong. There's good news from Hong Kong is not good. And the, um, the analysts, news analysts that I have read are talking about this becoming worse. Uh, because you know what happened in Tiananmen Square. So let us pray. Let's pray that, you know, um, that there would be a resolution and that um, the dreams of the young people for democracy and a voice uh, would be heard and wouldn't be, wouldn't be squelched. Uh, at this point, it doesn't seem like a good, uh, a good uh, news. So let's pray for them. We um, and, and I do want to um, recognize that we have a doctor in the house. Did you know that? We have a doctor in the house. Dr. Brian Tong, welcome. So Dr. Brian Tong defended his dissertation successfully. Uh, when was it, Dr. Tong? Thursday. He's, he's still not used to calling, being called Dr. Tong. Would you do that? Please don't call him Brian. Please. This is Dr. Tong. I think that's, you know, it reminds me of my, when I, when I defended my dissertation, uh, that's the thing they say to you. Uh, they go into this, um, so you stand, you sit there in front of a table, and there's five people in, at a table or staring at you. And then there's a lot of people at the back. You know, anyone can come. It's an open hearing, so anyone can come. So I remember Jewish scholars were there and all kinds of people. Are you okay? And can you shut your ears? Vladimir, yeah, yeah. I don't want to scare you here. Okay, it's okay. Yeah, you're prepared. Okay, so there's all these people that are sitting at the back and, and they Fire away questions, fire away questions. You're supposed to be responding to all the questions. And, and, and then, you know, and then there's no expression on their face. They don't tell you that's a good answer and, or anything like that. It's a part of the charade of uh, academia. Um, and, and then after that, they all, dis well, there's every, anyone can ask a question after that. 
Anyone from this open audience, because it's a public hearing, can ask a question. Once they're done, then these five people disappear, and they go into some private cellar somewhere. And then if they're gone for a long time, then you're nervous, you know, because that's not good news. Uh, but if they come back fairly quickly, uh, then you breathe this sigh of relief, and each of them will come, and they'll say, Welcome to the Academy, Dr. Tung. Welcome to the Academy, Dr. Isn't that great? It's so great because for the first time you are called Dr. Tung. And um, that's so amazing. For all your hard work, and we'll pray that God would use you in great ways. You know, this is just the beginning. It's called commencement. The beginning of a journey We'll pray that God would use you wherever he takes you, you know, to Los Angeles, maybe here in Chicago, um, um, or Hong Kong. You never know. Some people might not like me saying that, but Hong Kong's a great place. So, congratulations. We also have a number of guests here, um, and, you know, I know Joseph is here Joseph is from Michigan, so let's give him a hand, Joseph. And then we have, um, um, we have uh, Jason's whole family here. He went all the way to India and said you should. May you introduce your family? Would you introduce your family, please, Jason? Welcome, welcome to Redeemer Life. Yeah. And then we have Deb and Chris. Welcome to um, Redeemer Life. I hope I'm not missing anyone. Um, we are going to be having outreach opportunities, and Richard will let you know about that. And hopefully more visitors will be coming in on the 14th of December at Barbara's um, bookstore. They have... Um, 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 a meet and greet and signing opportunity on my book. So invite your friends. Let them come to Barbara's bookstore on the 14th of December. Did I say January? 14th of December. And then the third week in January till the third week in February, we have um, a, a, a book discussion group, again, on Mary's of the Bible, uh, so bring your friends so that they can come to, an, to a very uh, neutral environment like Barbara's bookstore and um, so that we can discuss crucial issues and have them come and explore Jesus. Explore how does Jesus bring healing to the people who have endured so much bitterness and suffering in their life because that's what um, the gospel is all about. Next week, of course, you have the opportunity to, um, to give. I'm going to encourage you to give um, generously. You know, missionaries are kings. No matter what you think of the history of missions, yes, some people have not done good stuff, but 99% have done good stuff all over, and our missionaries have, have worked so hard and so pray for the Lees and fast for the Lees and, and pray that God will continue to use them among refugees who have escaped a lot of horrible stuff in Iran and in Syria and 
in those parts of the world, those are the kinds of people that the Lees are reaching out to. So would you do that, please? Um, spend time in fasting and in prayer. Next week, I'll be presenting three papers. Don't ask me why do I do this. I'm presenting three papers in, in, in a place called San Diego. And there's going to be 12,000 or more professors of biblical and religious studies from all over the world. I don't know if anyone else is going to be there. but So, so do pray. There's three opportunities I have of essentially giving the gospel um, in, in, in three different contexts. One is on a book that I, um, uh, that I, uh, it is edited by InterVarsity, and uh, so there's about 12 of us who will be on a panel, and then two different papers that I'll be presenting um, on, on different issues. So, so pray for me as well next week. But next week we have Thanksgiving Sunday. I've been told that I always miss out on this um, because I have to be at these places on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Um, um, but come, come and eat. Eat, eat a lot. Um, would you eat for me also? I eat a lot, so you have to eat a lot uh, of, of really good food. Uh, and then give generously to the Lees and to Covenant World Relief. You know, Covenant World Relief is bringing so much healing to so many parts of the world in the name of Jesus. That's very clear. This is not just, oh, we give you this food or we give you water or something. It's all done by very profound, devoted followers of Jesus who do that in Jesus' name. So, so I, I would encourage you to give. I was pondering over, um, uh, over the text to preach on uh, this Sunday before I go, and we are going through um, uh, a new series here, and the, and the series is, what, what is, what is the calling of, of my life? What is the calling of my life? Uh, and what's the calling of Redeemer Life? Why were we called here in Vernon Hills, in Libertyville, Mundelein? What are, what are the kinds of things we need to be mindful of? And, and, and last week we talked about the five Ds, the five Ds that um, I would like us to explore as we go on into these series. One is discovery of who we are, discovery of who we are, what is our calling, who am I, who are we as a community, what is our calling. And the second is, is what is the place of God, who is God, the place of divinity in our life, because we would be nothing if we don't know the presence of God in our life. So divinity is, is the second D, and the third D is to explore the difficulties of the communities around us. What is, what is Vernon Hills all about? What is Libertyville all about? What, is, what are the difficulties that people are facing? Because we can't just uh, turn a blind eye. We, ha we can't go with, with uh, you know, shades here and pretend that, oh, we're living this holy Christian life without going and being one with the difficulties of people around us. So that's a third D. And, and the fourth D is... How do we, what kind of a message of deliverance do we bring?
to the people? What kind of a message of deliverance do we bring to the people? If you, if you look at the life of Jesus, and last week we talked about the core text of his life, which was found in Luke chapter 4, we came to realize that Jesus did so much stuff. He didn't just go to people and say, believe in me and you'll be saved. He said, believe in me and you'll be saved in all sorts of areas of your life. The hungry were fed. The lame were able to walk. The blind were able to see. He went over to the prisoners, to the prisons and reached out to prisoners because each one needed healing in their life. And and, and we have, in many senses, in the modern church, I said this, we have bought into the lie of modernity, and that was found in, I'm going to draw this figure here. I don't know what would you call this figure, um, but, but let's call this figure Dr. Brian Tung. <laughs> is that okay? I don't know why did I do that, but is that okay, Dr. Tung? So, um, during the time of the Bible, during the time of Jesus, Dr. Brian Tung was a whole person. But then you come to modernity, and there were people like Rene Descartes, and people like Immanuel Kant, and again, I'm not going to into details there, who said, no, the only Dr. Brian Tung that's important at Trinity is the mind. Right? So, they brought in what is called rationalism. And the gospel was meant only for the mind. But there are other, other people who said, no, no, there's also the heart. And they, they said, no, no, that's the irrational part. It's, it's not for the heart. So the church was divided into two sections. Those that said, we've got to preach, preach, preach. You know, we've got to preach the word, preach the word, brother. And those were the rationalistic kind of churches. And then the others who said, no, no, what about preaching? We just need to sing songs and we need to jump up and down and say hallelujah. It's only for the heart. So we just sing good songs and feel good about it. That is the irrational gospel. Just say the word and you'll have prosperity. That's the irrational gospel. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus reached out to the whole person. The mind, the body, the spirit, the whole being. You go through the life of Jesus, that's what Jesus did from the start to the finish. So how does that translate into thanksgiving is what I want to go into today. I don't know if you, um, if you got this sheet of paper. I hope you did. It's, it's called the Geneva Bible. Do you all have a copy of this? I hope you do. If you don't, then you just have to tap Richard on the shoulder and he'll give you one. Can you put up your hand if you do not have one? And then Richard will give you a copy of this. So, um, why, why the Geneva Bible, and what is the Geneva Bible? I, I was reflecting on, you know, what's Thanksgiving all about? And, and as I was doing my research work, I came to realize that on this, uh, on this ship, this rickety ship called Mayflower, you remember Mayflower? Where there were, you know, uh, over 100 people who got into this rickety boat, and they, 
they, they um, came over the ocean, uh, the, the Atlantic Ocean, and, and they landed on the East Coast, somewhere on the East Coast, and, and uh, it was a very hard journey. And, and then in, in 1921, um, there were half of them that died, and 53 were left, and they thanked God. So why did they thank God is the question I asked myself. And I came to realize that, my goodness, these people are reading the Bible. And they were not reading the King James Version. Do you know why? Well, King James Version was published in 1611. So maybe they didn't have copies of the King James Version. So that's one possibility. But I think there's a different reason behind it. The King James Version was the King James Version. Right? It was under the auspices of this guy called King James. And they said, we are not going to read the King James Version. They read an earlier translation into English, for which a lot of people died, and it's called the Geneva Bible. And it's so fascinating to read the Geneva Bible. I, I went to Trinity Library hoping that they would have one of those for me, but you know it's Trinity Library. There wasn't one there for me. It was there in the reference section. It's really big. And they said, no, you cannot take this. This is for the reference. I said, why I can't take it? They said, don't you know reference? It should be only for reference. So I wasn't able to bring one for you. Otherwise, I had promised David that I'll bring one. But if you can get one, I would encourage you to get it. I did go online, and I got this thing called the Kindle version. Have you heard about the Kindle version? What's, you know, the Kindle version. Do you know how much was it? It was $2.99. That's pretty cool. I said, sure, I'll get the $2.99 Kindle version. And so I went through the text, and here's what I found. I, I, I want to give you a little bit of this because I want you to get a sense of what were they thinking about? What was the Bible they were reading when they were in Mayflower? All those days and days of journeying on the Mayflower. What were they thinking? And you come to realize that this is what they read. So let's read through some of these verses, if we may, please. Um, you, you don't have... Um, the, the, the trans, uh, this won't be on, on the screen here, uh, but I, I want to kind of go through some of these um, texts with you here. The first series of texts that I went through is from Exodus chapter 23, verses 14 through 17, and then Exodus 34, 22 and 23, and Leviticus chapter 23. Here's what they read. It says here, now you won't find all this in our Bible, okay? Because alongside the text of the Bible were the notes of the Reformers. That's what the Geneva Bible is all about. That's what's fascinating about the Geneva Bible. So it is what I would call a, a, a previous version of what we would call an amplified Bible. So it's an amplified Bible that was done by the reformers. And they didn't want anything to do with the kings. Why? Because whenever the kings are in charge, it has been bad news for the church. These two things should never go together. 
Whenever the kings have been in charge, whether it be in Sweden or it be in Germany or it be in England or wherever, because they control stuff, the dissenters said, no, we don't want you to control stuff. We want to be controlled by God's word and God's word alone. Because the church has to be prophetic. The church can never be aligned with either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. The church has to have a prophetic voice. And whenever that gets colored, it worries me. You can't do that because in history of the church, you'll always find that the church went down when the church wasn't prophetic. So let me give you another precursor to this. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says, when a king is coronated, before the king is coronated, he should sit down with the scholars, the priests, and the Levites, and write for himself a copy of the whole five, first five books of Moses called the Pentateuch or the Torah. Do you know how long does that take? Today it takes one year for an expert to write down the whole Torah. The king was told, you are not king. You've got to realize this. You are under God. And as long as you realize that, you'll be okay. How do you realize that? Take a whole year or two years, however long it takes, sit down with some teachers and write down for yourself a copy of the whole Torah. And then meditate on it every day. Only then you will know how to lead, how to lead a just and beautiful and a good life for the sake of your people. You'll take care of the strangers and the foreigners and people that will come in here. So that's what the people of Mayflower was doing. And then here's what they read in, in Exodus chapter 23. It says three times, and, and, and there's strange spelling there. So, you know, not strange spelling. We, spread, we spell strangely. How about that? So this is, this is good spelling. It says three times, thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of that is Easter. And that is the time of Good Friday and Easter together, seven days. Thou shalt keep Easter in remembrance that the angel passed over and spared the Israelites when he slew the firstborn of the Egyptians' unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed during the month of Aviv, which is during the springtime. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. So that is the first. Good Friday and Easter, Passover. Why do you keep that? So that you remember that you were slaves. So that you remember the harsh things that the Egyptians did to you. So that you remember that during that time, the firstborn of Egypt were destroyed. Who are the firstborn? These are the kings, the divine ones of the Egyptians, because they regarded themselves as these higher beings. But God saved you. And then it goes on to say, verse 16, and the witch is Whit Sunday. What is Whit Sunday? Whit Sunday is Pentecost. 
in token that the law was given 50 days after they departed from the sea, Egypt, feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and then there is, so let me go to the third one after that, but a little bit on the first two. It was on the third day that they were pinned against the, the Red Sea. Do you remember that? It was on the third day after Good Friday that they were pinned up against the Sea of Reeds. And so when God took them out of the Sea of Reeds, it was as if that was a resurrection of a whole community. That is the day on which Jesus the Messiah also rose from the dead. Do you see how they were seeing these things together? And then seven months after that, it says, and then there is the Feast of Tabernacles, signifying that they lived for 40 years in the tents or the tabernacles in the wilderness. The Feast of Ingathering, which is the end of the year when thou hast gathered in thy labors and out of the field these three times in the year shall all my men children appear before the Lord Jehovah. That's olden spelling there again. So the whole idea here is that three times you've got to remember. Easter, Passover before that, Good Friday, Easter, then comes Pentecost, and then comes this time of the year. And it's usually around October. October was the time when they first celebrated in, 19, in 1621, the Mayflower original pilgrims, they celebrated Thanksgiving during the month of October, and that's about this time of the year. Let me continue reading. This is also found again in Exodus chapter 34, verses 22 and 23. And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering, which is in September. So it says September here. You see how the guidance is being taken by them? This is by the notes of the reformers when the days go shorter that in the end of their calendar year at the end, year's end thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord Jehovah God of Israel. So they had to keep this in mind. Going on further Leviticus chapter 23 Verses 33 to 42, again from the Geneva Bible. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say, In the fiftieth day of the seventh month shall be seven days, the feast of tabernacle unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto us. And ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a day of reckoning. It says, it is an oar. This is where you will expect God to come down and that will be a sign. That's the word that's used there. A day in which the people refrain from all work, solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meal offering, a time of... Where, uh, 
or the, the Hebrew word they, this, they, they use, they don't even change the Hebrew word there. They want you to know that this is the time of reckoning when you encounter God. Peace offerings, sacrifice, dink offerings, everything upon this day. Also in the 15th day of the seventh month, when ye, are ga- ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a, an or a solemn feast, Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath, and yes, shall shall take you, ye shall take you in the first day of the fruit of the goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and the willows of the brook, and shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So ye shall keep this feast unto the Lord seven days in the year by a perpetual ordinance through your generations. On the seventh day you shall keep it. Ye shall dwell in tabernacles on the seventh, on these seven days. And so that's what they did. And it's so beautiful to read the diaries of some of these people. So I would encourage you to read, get diaries. You can get those of William Bradford and, and, and of Edward Winslow. These were among the original people, among the pilgrims, these dissenters. Uh, let me read a couple of these lines for you, not the whole thing. Uh, William Bradford, for example, says, and, and we began now to gather in the small harvest they had and, and, uh, um, and to fit upon their houses and dwellings against winter, being all well recovered in health and strength and had all things good, plenty. And so he goes on to describe how did they celebrate Thanksgiving and why did they celebrate Thanksgiving. Edward Winslow's diaries are also available our harvest being gotten, our governor sent four men on fowling, so we might after a special manner rejoice together after we had gathered the fruits of our labor. And so they celebrated this. Some 90 people, the 53 of them are the remaining pilgrims. There is so much that's available to us. And, and you get this idea that these people really wanted to follow the word of God. That's where Thanksgiving comes from. Now, not from some little stories that have been told about this person, that person, but, but it is how people wanted to stick with the Word of God, and that is our calling. And then you come to the second text there, which I have for you. That's Deuteronomy 26 that they read. Um, that's where they get the ethical dimension. So the first is, what is our purpose in this new land? The second one is, what kind of ethics do we have that will govern our being in this new land? And that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 26. So I'll read a little bit here, but I won't read the whole text. Deuteronomy chapter 26, 1 through 12. The beginning verse says, Also when thou shalt come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Notice that several times the word that's used is, this is a gift to you. Remember that. In the second verse it says, giveth thee. At the end of that paragraph it says, give to us. And then, so you keep on going there. There's about nine times you find, this is a gift to you. Remember that. That's why you're thankful. 
so that you will be nice to the people of the land. Unfortunately, did people do that? The later generations from among the Puritans did not do that. And we have to lament over that. Two of my friends have written a very recently a book about this. One is a gentleman by the name of Sung Chan Ra. Sung Chan Ra teaches with me at North Park. And the other one is Mark Charles, who is a Native American theologian. And the title of the book is Unsettling Truths, The Ongoing Dehumanization of the Doctrine of Discovery, where people went into Spain, uh, beg your pardon, Spaniards went into Central America, South America, and just wiped out everybody. That's what I find when I go to Colombia. Those Native Americans were all killed. That's what, unfortunately, people did here as well. We need to lament that. This is God's gift, say the early pilgrims. This is not something we can take a hold of. And the doctrine of discovery says, according to the Queen of Spain, go and if they don't become your followers, they don't become a part of the Roman Catholic Church, just wipe them out. That's the doctrine of discovery. This is not discovery. This is God leading you. And be thankful for that. That's why there is the day of thanksgiving. Be thankful for what God has given us. Remember that your forefathers were pilgrims and strangers and foreigners so that we would take care of pilgrims and foreigners and strangers. Remember that. That's the ethical dimension. Did the people of Israel do that? Unfortunately, they didn't. Did the king write out the whole Torah? Unfortunately, they didn't. So God had to punish them. And they were exiled. And then they come back. I'm going to the third part here. Where the word dimension of the thanksgiving is seen. So they come back. And there is an amazing man of God called Ezra, and an amazing man of God called Nehemiah, they suddenly find the Torah, and this is what they do. And all the people assembled themselves together in the street, and that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe that he would bring the book of the Torah, the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation. He read it and he read it and he read it. And the people, do you know what they do? They didn't say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is the reading of the Bible. They started weeping. They started mourning. And they started saying, oy vey, we have not been doing all this stuff. Where has the word of God been? And so, and you don't have this verse there with you, but I'll read this from Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. It says, and he said to them, Come on, people, go your way. Eat, meat, drink, sweet wine. Send portions to everyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, do not mourn, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
You know, we sing those songs. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We're so happy about it. Do you know what's the context? The context is a reading of God's Word where people realize that they have done so much sin and they were mourning. That's when Ezra says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But first comes mourning, then comes joy. And so they did, and they dwelt in booths. Chapter 8 of Nehemiah, 14 through 18, they found written in the Torah and the law, the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel shall dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and so they did. Why did they do that? Let's go to the next text there, which gives us the eschatological and the missional dimension of thanksgiving. Zechariah chapter 14. This is so powerful. The prophet Zechariah says, this is not just for you. So let me read it. But it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations, all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall go from year to year. All the nations shall go from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep what? The Feast of Tabernacles. That's where Thanksgiving comes from. This is the missional dimension of Thanksgiving, where we invite everybody, not just, oh, my little family, you know, isn't this so great? What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? That's not Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is where we invite the whole world, and we say we are celebrating Thanksgiving because God has been so great, and He'll be great to you as well. All the nations will come, will keep the Feast of Tabernacle. And who will not come, come up to all the fam from all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. On them, they will not experience rain. That's the missional command to the church. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. And then, I want us to focus a little bit on Jesus. Did Jesus celebrate Thanksgiving? He did. Read John chapter 7. On the Feast of Tabernacles, he goes into the temple. And of course, all the people say, oh, who is this? Well, you know, we know you. You were born in Nazareth. We know your father. We know your mother. The same thing that's said in Luke chapter 4. Do you remember that? And then Jesus begins quoting the scriptures. And he says, I am the water of life. That's the core text of thanksgiving, right? He says to the people, that's the core text of tabernacles. And they said, yes, but that's going to be God himself. And he said, I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and life. And so Jesus goes on to, to talk about all of those prophecies that talk about this word becoming flesh, God becoming human, and becoming a tabernacle among us. 
And he said, I am that God that revealed himself to Moses. And so as all the nations come, Jesus comes up and breaks through during the Feast of Tabernacles, and he declares himself to be fully God and fully human. I don't think I've given you the full text there of the Geneva Bible. It's so powerful. Can you get it for $2.99 and tell them that I sent you? Read John chapter 7. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. Because in ours, we only have the verses, but in the Geneva Bible, it goes into five pages. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life to all the nations. That is the commission of thanksgiving. Would you do that, please? Don't just have an itsy-bitsy Thanksgiving meal. This is the time for evangelism. This is the time to give people the thankfulness in front of people to God and to tell them, I've tasted the bread of life. I have drunk from the living fountain of water. I want to share this with you. Will you accept it? That is thanksgiving. Not the itsy-bitsy thing we have made thanksgiving to be.